Hi, I'm David Coverdale from Whitesnake, and you're listening to Appetite for Distortion with Brando on iHeartRadio. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 114. My name is Brando. Coming up, uh, two interviews we have for you this episode. Later on in the episode, we're going to speak to Danny Goldberg, who was one of Nirvana's managers from 1990, so just before Nirvana broke with Nevermind, and, well, until Kurt passed away. So we're going to be talking about his new book, Serving the Servant, Remembering Kurt Cobain, and we're going to talk about his friendship with Kurt, you know, if you know me at all, or the, or the show, of course, mental health. It's so important to me in talking about depression, so we're going to talk about that in regards to Kurt. And, well, it's a GNR podcast, so we're going to ask, we're going to ask about uh, Axel Rose as well, so that's a little bit later on in the episode. But first, I think this is another milestone for us. David Coverdale, of course, the legendary lead singer of Whitesnake, joins us. He's going to talk about his brand new record, Flesh and Blood. It comes out May 10th, and I'm anxious to talk to David. Unlike how I was nervous to talk to Dave Mustaine. Is that what you said? I idolize Slash? Whew. Remember that tense moment from last episode with Dave Mustaine? I'm reaching out to him to see if I can get a longer interview, but we'll see. Uh, it was just a, a great honor uh, to talk to, to Dave. Now it's an honor to talk to David Coverdale. Welcome to the AFD Show. I love Brandon Weisler and his podcast. <laughs> Hi, David. How are you doing, sir? Hi, Brandon. How are you? I'm doing great. This is such an honor to, to speak with you today. I, I, I know. I can't get over to myself. I had to sit down. <laughs> You're a funny guy, David Coverdale. How are you doing, bro? Where are you calling from? I'm in uh, Los Angeles at the moment, getting ready to rehearse with my band of brothers, the fabulous White Snakes, and make some effing noise. That's what we're going to be doing. Isn't it crazy that you, you just finished, you just finished celebrating your, your 40th year of White Snake? <laughs> Well, actually, it's coming up to my 50th, if you include Deep Purple. I mean... It's pretty whack, huh? It's just incredible. I mean, does it ever boggle your mind that you've been doing this for 50 um, years? Well, the only time I really think about it is when I'm uh, having the pleasure of being interviewed by you and your colleagues. Um, I don't sort of sit there going, oh my God, I'm a legend. <laughs> Apart from the fact that I think my wife would have left me if, if I was that mindset. Uh, no, I don't think about it at all. I think about my growth as a human being, as, as a musician, as a songwriter, as a lyricist, as a, you know, um, as all of those things, uh, just growth in general, not, not my reputation, which is less than savory, for, uh, to say the least. But, uh, yeah, I'm not doing this for legacy. I'm doing this because this is my hobby, and, and I get well paid for it. It's crazy. 
Well, that leads me to ask, because the new Whitesnake record, Flesh and Blood, comes out in May, with your yeah. entire catalog of Whitesnake and Deep Purple and Page and Coverdale, why is it still so important to yeah. you to put out new music today? Well, first off, I was at the end of 2016, I was asked by my friends I'd worked with for the last 10 years, an independent uh, great label in Italy, uh, Frontiers, uh, two guys uh, I'm very close with, Serafino and Mario Del Riso. And they, you know, I just come off a two year world tour. And the sad part of that is that. Um, I've, I've been suffering from de degenerative arthritis for about 10 years and covering it with band-aids and injections so people couldn't see, you know, any kind of pain or anything when I was on stage. But during the summer part of uh, 2016, uh, it became intolerable. Uh, the band-aids didn't work anymore. So I was working with Bone on Bone and my wife and I agreed it was time for surgery. Um, so 2017 was supposed to be knee replacement, the right knee in Ju uh, January and the left knee in May, and a year of recovery. And of course, I tell my Italian stallions this, and they go, well, still, you can write songs sitting down. <laughs> On major medications, yeah. So it was the busiest year of my entire career in 2017. We put together the 87 Project, 30th anniversary box set, an unzipped acoustic box set, um, uh, the Slided In 35th anniversary box set, a purple vid tour video from 2015. It was just, in, and wrote 18 new songs, of which you're going to get 13 if you get the standard CD and 15 if you get the deluxe. It was a remarkably creative time, but very taxing. But yeah, so, and it was the first time I had the opportunity to create music uh, with Red Beach, and uh, who's worked with me for 16 years, and Joel Hoekstra. Uh, and I think it's a really vibrant, relevant, uh, very powerful White Snake record. Well, I know I'm certainly excited for the new record, but what makes you, you keep going? Because you mentioned yeah. the arthritis. I have a friend of mine who has rheumatoid arthritis. I talk about on my show that I have a neurological disability. So what makes you keep going? It's it's extremely difficult. And, you know, if you're doing a work in the public eye, uh, the last thing you want to do is to be hobbling around or compromise. So uh, it, it, it's, you know, or, or stay home. Uh, and, and I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm not a person who gives up. Um, it was if I, if I hadn't have done it, Brandon, I would have been in a wheelchair. And, and that's I don't see that vision for myself. Um, and certainly not see that vision for, to, to have my wife uh, in that position. So it was really, and thank God I worked with an amazing surgeon, uh, although he did say, you know, when you go out there, David, don't be too, doing too much bending and rotating. I'm going, Jesus, Doc, that's what I do. <laughs> but it, yeah, it's, uh, it needs to be addressed. Uh, I don't want to get into any politics, but the, Amer the American medical system for a European to, to see is just bizarre. It's that of a fourth world. 
everybody should be entitled to first-class health care, and particularly in this stuff that you're talking about for arthritis, not just putting uh, masks on it with medications. That just keeps the pharmaceutical companies happy. It doesn't really do anything for you. I proved that over my 10 years of, of degenerative arthritis. You know, the, the bandages, they're just masks that disguise it for a little bit. You know, ultimately, it's just getting wearing down. And, uh, and my body has supported me from 67 years old, and I'm still working out with new knees. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it was totally necessary, brother. You know, you're right. And you're an inspiration for those of us who, who, who suffer from a, a disability, a disease that could keep continuing. Uh, because my friend who has rheumatoid arthritis is my age, only 35. Wow. It's a tough disease to battle. I know you get it, baby. You get it in, in your childhood or whatever. It's something that's a gene. I don't know. It's, but it, it's not fun. And I was aware of it. You know, I do yoga, so I couldn't get into child's pose, which is like a, a crouch in 2008. I'm going, what the, what's this? I couldn't work it out. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. But really, we could um, just, I, I was getting shots for all those years. And that's terrible, for instance, on your kidneys. Well, for what it's worth, you sound good. Ah, bless your heart. Apparently, I'm looking good, too. I can still, I can still get into my stage pants. Thank God. Oh, and I can still get into the suit I wore in the original Here I Go Again video. So something must be right. Speaking of looks, let's get into uh, some fan questions. Yes. Uh, Allie on Facebook wrote in, where do you get your shirts? She loves them. Oh, uh, we have them made. Um, now, I work with a company called 310, and some years ago, I came up with the idea of uh, flag shirts for the, the different nations that we, we play in uh, as a, you know, as, as a, uh, appreciation, a show of respect. You know, so I have Mexican shirts, Swedish shirts, German shirts, French shirts. We call them flag shirts. And some of the more, we, we put like slide it in slow and easy. Yeah, so we, we generate those, but you can get them on um, whitesnake.com online. On the online store. <laughs> uh, Todd writes in also on Facebook. Uh, a few years ago, I wish this festival was here in America, but the mother of all rock festivals in, in Monterey. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're Gunners, the Gunners and Sammy. Yeah, it was great to see some old friends. So what was it like for you seeing uh, Guns N' Roses reunited? Oh, God, well, I know these guys. You know, Slash and Duff are friends of mine. These are, you know, Duff's jammed with me, you know, and I'm working with Slashy, I think, next, uh, in a month or two, in about two months. I haven't seen Axel for many, many years, but we send regards and respects to each other. How far back does your friendship go? Because you guys uh, kind of came up together. MTV Awards, dude, because I was promoting Appetite for, uh, for Welcome to the Jungle um, when I was promoting Whitesnake stuff because I thought it was one of the best rock records I'd ever heard. And still do. I, th I think it's a great rock record. And uh, so I would promote it and have it playing before my shows and stuff because I think it was out for about a year before anyone paid any attention to it. So, you know, we go back. We were label mates, of course, Geffen Records. And speaking of that time period, did you get to see The Dirt, the, the Motley Crue movie? And if so, what did you think? Oh, I haven't seen that, but I know those guys. I saw The Dirt happening. 
<laughs> I don't have to see it. I didn't have to see Bohemian Rhapsody either because I know that story. I knew Freddie. I flew with Freddie all the way from Frankfurt to Rio. That was quite a time of getting to know each other in a, in a conversational way. But I've known Brian. Brian comes to my shows in London. I see Roger in a good friend's restaurant of mine in London. Yeah, I'm thrilled for them. Um, yeah, it's those kind of things. I'm, I'm working on how white was my snake. <laughs> funny guy, funny guy. <laughs> now, do you ever foresee, because there's a story there. You know, with you have a story. White Snake has a story. Do you think if you actually sat down and wrote a screenplay, there would ever be a White Snake movie? Yeah. You know, every time I say no, something will come up. Um, I don't have time. When I have time, I run Whitesnake pretty much, and it's 24-7. If I have any time, I'm hanging out with my wife. Are you kidding? She's amazing. She's the, the beautiful blonde who gets me in the alley at the end of uh, the Shut Up and Kiss Me video. Cindy, you know, together almost 30 years. So, and we're the best of friends, so we relish time we have together. So I'm not going to be sitting there typing away my memoirs. I haven't finished doing what I'm supposed to be doing yet. Maybe one day. And basically, people can find out. My, my songs, my lyrics are like diaries. I can tell what condition I was emotionally that through that song or where my marriage was. My first marriage was like promoted, here I go again, crying in the rain, fool for your loving, don't break my heart again. You know, all of these things, Brandon, it's like as if I'm journaling. And one of the thing, reasons I think Whitesnake is so successful is that people can, my themes are human, they're emotional and physical. And my, certainly not unique, so people can identify with that and go, oh, thank God I'm not alone. He's had the same thing. I love it. Such a great answer. David, it really was such an honor to speak with you today. I know you got to run. Oh, Brandon, thank you so very much. And I wish you well with your, with your issues, sweet brother. I really appreciate you saying that, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on tour when you come to uh, Long Island. Well, I hope I hope we do get to meet, Brandon. I'd like to shake your hand. I would like that, too. So I'll see you at the Paramount in Long Island. Look forward to it, brother. And I'll have some Long Island iced tea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you take care, brother. All the best. How nice was he? I didn't know what to expect at all. I say that a lot with these interviews, but... Man, right out of the gate, he was just a a buckle of a bucket of laughs. I almost had a buckle of laughs. I don't know if either of those uh, statements make any sense, but he was just really nice, and uh, I hope I, I I get to talk to him um, for more in, in, in the future. And before we get to Danny Goldberg, former guns, excuse me, former Nirvana manager, uh, I want to you know remind those who maybe this is your first episode listening we're always getting new listeners you know why some interviews are are longer could be an hour and why some of these are like that just short and and Danny Goldberg is also going to be short now i'm very lucky um, cuz this podcast essentially has become a or started as a hobby yes i'm in radio i've done fm stuff i've had some podcast experiments but nothing what nothing like this which has become serious not the company but the actual word. It's, it's become a serious thing. So as I've built it up, uh, as, it, as it's been noticed on iHeart, uh, by iHeart, it's, been on, it's on the iHeart app. Um, I, it's not just because I work here. It had to be accepted. Uh, it was chosen to be the first batch of iHeart podcasts to be promoted. Uh, so I promos playing. And who else has noticed have been some of my coworkers 
and and my bosses really essentially. So part of my job that I've been doing, I've been working here almost four years. It's what's called, what we call, I guess, a a morning radio tour. So David was just on the phone, yeah, with with me for, you know, 10 plus minutes. But he was on the phone for over two hours. And it's back to back to back to back, you know, with the increments of seven, eight minutes, 10 minutes, so so and so. I believe I have eight minutes uh, with Danny coming up. So you got to think of what questions to ask. You know, you don't want to ask the, the, the generic questions. I mean, you can if you just want a, a generic interview, which is fine. Um, th- they do these things because, yeah, some people like being interviewed, but they have something to promote. So as long as you're promoting what they want, everything is all gravy. Uh, you make sure you want to focus on that, but you want to get creative with questions because you don't have a lot of time. And you may have noticed uh, as soon as I posted the Dave Mustaine interview, it was picked up by Blabbermouth. So all these guys are very aware of what they say. So it's 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 a it's a very unique thing to you know you want to do right by the artist and promote what you know what they want, but at the same time get something unique out of them, different out of them, especially if they've been on the phone for you know almost two hours. They've been answering the same questions for the most part. That's why I take pride, like uh, when Brian Wheat said, I, I asked, he's been on the phone for two hours, and I asked like him the best questions. That means a lot to me. I appreciate that. So um, I, I get to record these usually in the morning, and as, as obviously you know, this is a podcast, and I, I only edit them just to you know put them together. I don't really take anything out. I will say there was a slight moment where I thought about taking out that awkward thing with Dave Mustaine for him. Because I was like, I don't want him to seem mean. Not for me. But I was like, no. no. I'm being silly, of course. I felt like, I don't know. I felt like I, I, I insulted, you know, Papa Bear. I was, I was, I, I thought he got mad. But it's what really happened. And that's what I want to give you. Yeah, they're meant for morning radio. But I want to give you a morning radio feel on a podcast, if you know what I mean. I hope. Basically, I just want you to feel that you're, you're here with me. You're important, obviously, to the show. So I want you to feel that you're you're experiencing everything I'm experiencing for the first time during these interviews. So it's it's what I'm trying to do, and I appreciate those of you who uh, are enjoying it. So without further ado, let's get to uh, Danny Goldberg, former I almost did it again, former Nirvana manager. I obviously have Guns N' Roses on the brain. Former Nirvana manager. He has a brand new book out, "Serving the Servant: Remembering Kurt Cobain." And, and Danny, I mean, this really is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Brandon. Thanks for talking to me. Well, I mean, I don't mean to keep you know, throwing back pleasantries, but I, thank you for writing this book. And it's not because, yes, I'm a Nirvana fan. You know, other than GNR, Nirvana's my wheelhouse. You know, I, I grew up with them. I'm, I'm 35. Uh, Kurt passed away when I was only in middle school. I remember that day quite vividly. Uh, but why do you think it was important to put it out now? And I ask that because since Kurt, it seems like we've lost a lot of, you know, of our our heroes, uh, rock stars to depression, you know, and mental health issues. Uh, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, and and very recently uh, Keith from Prodigy. Why was this book important for you to put out? You know, it was important to me because I just loved the guy and felt that over the course of time, 
there had been a little more emphasis on his death than on his life. And I, I knew, you know, with these anniversaries is a moment when you could get a little more attention. And in terms of my having the time to spend a year interviewing people and researching and writing a book, I just wanted to paint a portrait of him that was a little different from what's, what's been out there. Um, you know, the, the proximity between self-destructiveness and artists is not new. It goes back as far as we know, uh, Vincent van Gogh, uh, you know, Billie Holiday, uh, and then, of course, of my hippie generation, we lost uh, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, and Jim Morrison within a couple of years of each other. And uh, and you, of course, are right to mention the more recent tragic deaths. We don't know why some artists are self-destructive or why some people are, but, but I just know that Kurt Cobain ha- had a, a tremendous value having nothing to do with that because of his creativity, his art, and privately, he was a nice guy. A lot of people who knew him felt a different kind of a loss, the loss of someone that really was kind and fun to be around when he wasn't depressed and and and, and created this uh, incredible uh, music. So I started managing the band at the end of 1990 after they had made their first indie record, Bleach, and were looking for to, to switch to a major label, and they wanted management. They came down to L.A., and I, I continued to work with with them, I became closer to Kurt than the other guys at a certain point for reasons I describe in the book. And then, uh, you know, I was involved until his uh, death. And, uh, you know, I, I just think of those three and a half years as an amazing privilege to have been able to be close to such a genius. And I, again, there's a lot of other books about Nirvana, but as far as I know, I'm the only one who like really worked with them. And to, to, it's not a journalistic attempt. It's a personal a memoir kind of a love letter, but I can't deny the dark stuff. I, I, I hate heroin. I hate the effect it has on people. I, I believe in 12-step program is the best thing for addicts and alcoholics, and a lot of people very close to me have saved their life that way. Kurt didn't take to it. We tried, but uh, he still did an awful lot in his 27 years that, that, that I want to remember and honor in addition to having died. Oh, of course, and that's something that I try to focus on on this podcast. You know, I, I mentioned that I... You know, talk about mental health a lot and, and, and depression. And one of the things that um, I, I do talk about a lot, especially with a celebrity when this happens, is, are the family members. So including you, um, you're a fan of Courtney Love, so am I, uh, Kurt's daughter. I mean, his friends and family are still around. So it's important to still focus on the positive for them, right? Well, I everybody comes to this a different way. And I honor people who look at it differently than I do. There's no right and wrong way of, of looking at this. I know people very close to him that are still angry at him. How could he do this? How could he leave us? How could he be that selfish? And I think that's a, a point of view a lot of people have about people who kill themselves. And I, again, I respect it. And some people that I really care about, I quote saying that in the, in the book, in, including Chris Novoselic, you know, who's in the band. But I, I emotionally don't process it that way. I, I have come to look at it as a disease that killed him. And if he died of cancer at 27 or of a heart attack, you know, I wouldn't be angry at him. I would just miss him. And that's the way I feel it was a mental illness. I don't think anybody really understands uh, exactly what to do about suicide. There are things that can make an incremental difference. There are, there are things that work with some people but not with others, whether it's antidepressants, meditation, prayer, 12 steps. 12 steps, I think, is the most successful batting average. But, um, but you know, I, I, just, uh, I just try to, uh, 
focus on him with love the way I do as, uh, you know, I'm in my late 60s now. A lot of people I love have passed away, including my parents. And I just try to uh, think about his soul, appreciate what what he left us, which is some great art, and try to, you know, <laughs> try to be a decent person and think of the bigger picture, you know. But there's no one right way to think about this. And you're absolutely right. It is much harder on family members than it is on the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, I know we don't have too much time here, so I just want to cram uh, this part of it in because I, I do understand what that feels like. Uh, I lost my dad to suicide about a year before uh, Chris Cornell took his life. Wow. Uh, I've gone to AA meetings. Uh, it's just something that you just have to continue to survive and, and live with and, and move forward and think of the positive. And that's why I look at somebody who I feel has come from a dark place. And it seems to be better now. And that's Axl Rose. Yeah. Would you think if, if Kurt had lived that perhaps like Axl and Slash, they could have mended fences? Because it seemed like Axl loved Kurt at times. Well, there's two parts to that question. I, I My guess is they would have ended up getting to be friends because there's so few people that share that experience. It's like ex-presidents. You know, it's a very small club. And from what I've read about Axl Rose's political views, they're more in line with the kind of things that Kurt believed. But, but you know, uh, Axl Rose didn't particularly love Kurt. I mean, he wore a Nirvana hat in one Guns N' Roses video because he'd heard an early copy of Nevermind, and that was a nice talking point for five minutes. But, you know, they didn't particularly get along. They, 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 they were in different philosophies culturally. You know, Kurt was a feminist, cared about gay rights. Axel at that time did not come across that way. There were different different lanes in rock and roll. And, uh, you know, and Axel ended up being very, uh, very hostile to him, uh, which Kurt then reacted to. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that Axel was so nice and Kurt was so mean. That said, I have a lot of respect for Axel Rose. He's a great singer, and I I agree with you. It's admirable that he's reinvented himself and survived, and deserves a lot of respect. But uh, but uh, in in back in the day, I was there when Axel Rose came over with two giant bodyguards and threatened to throw Kurt down on the pavement unless he told Courtney to shut up. And that was uh, that was a one way street. That was Axel acting like a jerk and Kurt acting like a loving husband. Huh. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there, Danny, because I know you have to go to the next interview. Just thank you so much. I hope we can do this again. Uh, again, the book is Serving the Servant, Remembering Kurt Cobain. Danny Goldberg, thanks for being on the AFD show. I can't thank you enough for talking to me. It really means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Well, short but sweet. How do you like these uh, shorter interviews? You know, quick, get to the point. I know... It's a little bit more relaxing when I know we're going to sit down, we're going to kind of unwind, like with brain, you know, kind of unwind and we're going to get into some stuff, but, you know, we may not get to uh, the good info until like an hour in because we're just having fun. And this one, we're just getting right to it. So I would love your, your feedback. Uh, you can always, of course, send a message uh, on Twitter at The AFD Show or on Facebook, twitter.com slash The AFD Show. Really do appreciate it. And if your case, if you're wondering why Danny's voice was so crisp and so clear where David Coverdale was over the phone, well, Danny was in studio. Very cool. That's the cool thing, again, by, uh, you know, very lucky. I've worked very hard to get here uh, in New York City. You know, I had a lot of places, you know, uh, help me along the way. I've had a lot of setbacks along the way. 
But I'm here, and I'm getting some great names. Even if they are short interviews, it's going to lead to bigger and better things. Like, for instance, uh, soon, if you've been following us on social media, you know that uh, future guests include Jim Brewer, uh, Michael Shanker uh, as well, and still looking forward to talking to Susan Holmes McKagan uh, in just a couple weeks. Uh, Billy Rowe from Jet Boy, I believe he's going to... Uh, going to bring on a special guest with him as well. And uh, Alex Grassi is going to come on and tell us all about the new Hookers and Blow record. I believe he said on the show that would never happen. <laughs> like, why would anybody want, it, like his words, or I'm paraphrasing, why would anybody want a Hookers and Blow record? Well, it's official. It's happening. They have a label deal. So we're going to talk about all of that with Alex. Uh, and I do want to read this one last uh, message, again, just from you, the listener, because there's, this is the only reason why I, I do this, is because of listeners like you. Now, I appreciate all of you who, who comment on, on statuses and, and guests, but there are many who just DM me, and that, that's just really, that's cool. I mean, because you're not looking for anything other than just... You know, just to tell me your feelings. So I'll leave this person's name out of it because he wants to remain anonymous. But he said, and he's out of Chicago. I think that's okay if I could say that. Uh, just dropping in to say the episodes have been on fire. Loving everyone. I recently visited my big brother in Los Angeles and introduced him to your podcast. He's been hooked on it ever since and has been binge listening. So now you have at least two Korean dudes listening. <laughs> okay, nice. Uh, he mentioned to me how much he loves you and agreed that uh, while your guests are great, it's really you that makes the show great. Your humor, your professionalism, your wit, and that's why your show is amazing. I love your sound bites and I want more. It's rad. It's rad. Thank you. I mean, that this means the world to me because uh, I've often said, I'm like, this is just, you know, a source to, for fans to talk about Guns N' Roses because, you know, many get frustrated with the forums or social media. Uh, you know, GNR doesn't do a lot. I mean, that's, you know, it could be a subjective term, but there are many other bands who, who do so much more uh, to talk to fans. I mean, look at the guests that we've had. It's not even just like coming on the show. It can just be social media stuff. It, it, it's just, we Guns N' Roses fans are just craving you know, just to talk about it. It's not even like information that we want, just to talk about GNR. Where can we talk about it? Well, here, uh, lucky with the guests, but I appreciate when you, you say you enjoy me. Uh, that means that I'm doing something right. Now, that was always a thought of mine, whatever FM station I was on, you know, what kind of Jewish humor can I get away with between playing Jay Giles and... You know, in the Rolling Stones, you know, in the, in the 15 to 30 seconds I have to talk, you know, will people like me or not like me? You know, how, how much should I be play radio DJ and how much should I just be Brandon or Brando, whoever? So it's, it's, it's great. So thank you. I, I love getting messages like that. And that's why I keep doing it. And that's why we're going to keep getting guests on. And that's why this pod tra a podcast night train keeps on rolling. So uh, in the meantime, please follow and subscribe. Yes, subscribe. Even if you're subscribed on one outlet already, do them all. Because I did get a message from uh, one of the higher-ups of the iHeart Podcasting that did a, uh, a screen grab of Joe Rogan, and it was all the subscriptions he has. And that's what advertisers see. So 
if you're following on iHeartRadio, also follow us on Spreaker. If you're following us on Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, etc. And, of course, you can always find us on AlternativeNation.net. Uh, Brett does a great job, and his staff does a great job of cran- uh, transcribing my interviews. And speaking of which, before I get out of here, I want to say thank you to Kill Your Idols. Uh, she was a former co-host of this uh, of this podcast, and she translated part of Brain's interview for a G, uh, for GNR Mexico. I believe it's just called GNR Mexico, uh, the uh, Facebook fan page. So thank you. Means a lot. I've said this before too. When a bilingual, when I have a bilingual listener, that English is not their first language. It's one thing to like Guns N' Roses and not speak speak English or not have it be your first language, but it's another to listen to me. <laughs> it's another thing to listen to me too. So it, again, I say it. In, I say it all the time. Say it until I'm blue in the face. But uh, it's true. I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for each and every single one of you listening. So be like that that um, that listener who just sent in that message who told his brother. Tell a friend. That's how we're going to keep growing and keep getting on great guests and more Guns N' Roses talk. So when are you going to see the next Appetite for Distortion podcast? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. security, I'm going home.